All right, but while you are, while you're turning there, so um, I've got two weeks left with you guys. Next week, next Sunday is my last Sunday here. And so here's how I landed on what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. Uh, when I preached on October 7th, 2012, my first sermon here, it was actually from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. So I thought, I'm coming back around to that as we uh, wrap things up next week. So that's how I landed on that. But then I thought, well, what do I want to do this week? Well, I'm just going to do the context that leads up to those verses, which is where we're starting this week, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 4. So that's how I landed on that. Um, as you, as you uh, well know, or most of you well know, if you're visiting, you don't know this, but we're a church that's in transition at this point. And so as, as I've got two weeks left, I thought I, I bear a weight and a responsibility to help with that transition. And part of that is continuing to do what I can to shepherd this body. There we go. Thank you. To shepherd this body towards unity and to shepherd the greater body of Christ toward unity. And so that's, that's the idea behind these, these next uh, two weeks is what does it look like to transition well and to pursue unity in a time where it is very easy, very easy to be div divisive. And so as we are looking at 1 Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, is writing to, by the way, these are the page numbers for the Bibles if you're using them from the chairs, 747, and if it has a flame on the front of the Bible, 953. The apostle Paul is writing to this church, a very uh, well-known church in a very large area, a very well-populated area, very well-traveled area, a church that is well-versed in a lot of teachers and different types of teachers. And so as he's writing to this church, as you start to track through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he, he gives thanks for them. He gives thanks because he's, he's heard about the, the way that they're going. He spent a lot of time with them. About a year and a half he spent with this church. You can find some of those details in Acts chapter 18. But he poured his life into this church, this, this community. He was, oh, he was beaten in this community and left for dead. And then the Lord in a vision said, go back in there because I still have many people here and, and I will protect you. And so he goes back in there even after he's been beaten and dragged. It is, it is in this town where he, he says to this particular group of believers, I know that there's not a single spiritual gift that you lack. And he's going to end up addressing that later on in this letter because where, there's, where there is an abundance of the gifts there, there's also an abuse. And so he's going to go and address that. But he calls for them in, in chapter 1, early on, chapter 1, verse 10, he gives his, his, his first appeal to them, I want you to be unified He'll say, I, I don't want you to be divided. I've heard about divisions. And so we start to get a glimpse as to why Paul's writing this letter, because he's gotten a report from Chloe. And Chloe has told him about things going on in this church community, and there are divisions, and there are factions, there are groups, there are cliques that are being formed around certain teachers. And he's saying, I don't want that to take place here. And then he knows that he's been accused of some things. He knows that he has had some criticisms come his way because when he spent his time among the Corinthians, he didn't speak eloquently, although he was capable of doing so. He didn't speak with lofty words and, and high levels of wisdom, although he was capable of doing that. Instead, he tells them that when I was with you, I instead, I preached Christ and him crucified. And, and this message, this, this simple message, Christ and him crucified, and then the implications of what it looks like to live in light of that, he says that, that kind of message 
to all the different people who value knowledge, who, who, who pride themselves on being wise, who pride themselves on having certain levels of knowledge that other people don't have, and so therefore they're enlightened above everyone else. He says, in that kind of context, when I speak about Christ and him crucified, it sounds like utter foolishness. And he says it is to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, he says, it's the power of God. He then, he then says, and while I was among you, I didn't come to you and speak eloquently. I didn't come to you and speak with high lofty wisdom. I came to you with that simple message, but with demonstrations of the spirit and in power. And so the message that he was bringing, the simple message was backed by the power of God. And he says, I did that, I did that so that you wouldn't put your, your faith in men or the teachings of men or the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, okay? So he goes on, and, and as we start to get closer to where we're going to pick up, he says, but when I was among you, he said, but I did teach some, some wisdom when I was among you. It's not that he, he only taught the simple salvation message. He said, I did that, but then there were times I did speak wisdom to you. He said, but it's not a wisdom that, that people around you would have known. He says, it's a, it's a wisdom that comes from God. It's a wisdom that's been hidden in God for all these ages, but has now been revealed through the Spirit. And therefore, it has to be understood by and through the Spirit. Hey, that kind of gets us run up to where we are, but here's what I want to do. Here's where we're going this morning as Paul addresses it. He's concerned about the unity of this church. He's concerned about the divisions that are taking place. When people who have the Spirit behave as if they lack the Spirit, there will be division in the church. He's going to be talking to a group of believers. That's clear from chapter 1. He's addressing them as saints. He's addressing them as people who have been set apart by God in Christ Jesus and who are called according to the will of God. They're believers. They have the Spirit. When people who have the Spirit, though, behave as if they lack the Spirit, there will be division in the church. And that's what Paul addresses here. So I want to start with chapter 3. What we're going to do is I want to show you the problem. I want to show you the problem and then show you how Paul starts to address the problem. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're just going to look at verses 1 through 4. He says, But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? So here's the problem. In this church in Corinth, there is jealousy and there is strife. There is competition, there is comparison about what others have or who others are following, and there is strife, there's contention that's taking place. And he says the reason that's taking place, if, or, or, or if this has taken place, it indicates you're still operating and behaving according to the flesh, according to that person you are apart from the spirit. He says, so that's why you have jealousy and strife, you're still behaving like people of the flesh, only in a human way. And he says, this is how the, the jealousy and the strife is being demonstrated. One says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Obviously, Paul, the apostle, the one writing this, 
Apollos would have been a very, very well-spoken teacher, a very, very eloquent, a very good, solid teacher, had a great ministry. And then later in chapter, um, or in chapter 3, also he's going to talk about Peter as well. So there was these groups around their favorite teachers. Okay, we'll, we'll pick more up on that next week as we pick up these verses. But this is the problem. There's jealousy and there's strife. There's people following their favorite teachers, and it's causing division, and it's causing groups. How does Paul choose to address that? How does a church that is in transition go about pursuing unity in the midst of that transition so that there's not jealousy, strife, and division? Let's walk backwards then. Go back with me to chapter 2, verse 14. So remember he had said, leading up to chapter 2, verse 14, he's, he says, I did teach wisdom among you. I taught things that, that were hidden in God for ages but have been revealed now through the Spirit. But now he helps us to understand why some people have picked up on these things and why other people have not. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 14, he says, the natural person. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, we have the mind of Christ. So he's going to talk about two people to start, two types of people. He's going to talk about the natural person. The natural person, as Paul describes this person, is the person who lacks the Spirit of God. This is the unbelieving person. This is the person who has not come to faith in Christ. Therefore, they have not been given the promised Holy Spirit. Therefore, they have not been made new. They have not been regenerated. They are not converted. They are not born from above. They're natural. They're still just merely human. They are, in other places, Paul would say they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And they are living their life in accordance with what they know and in accordance with their nature, which is natural meaning it lacks that which is supernatural. Okay, that's the, that's the contrast he's setting up. So the natural person is the person who does not have the Spirit. It doesn't mean they don't know things. It doesn't mean they don't even know the Scriptures. You can know the Scriptures, you can know the Word of God, and still not know the God of the Word. You can know a whole lot about the Scriptures, and yet still never know the God who breathed those scriptures out. I have known many people in, in many different settings, both in churches and in educational settings, who could run circles around anyone else I know with regard to their knowledge of the scriptures. And yet, it's entirely possible that people in those positions, and I have known them, cannot know the Lord, even though they know some of the deepest things about scripture. Just simply being able to spout knowledge just simply being able to recite verses, just simply being able to say, I read my scripture, does not guarantee that a person has the spirit. You can read the scriptures just like a textbook and you can learn a lot of things from it. You can, you can know what the original audience was being communicated. Uh, you, can, you can know what the original writer was trying to communicate. You can understand historical context. You can dig into the Greek and you can dig into the Hebrew and understand the use of words. You can get on the deepest and technical levels, and you can grow in your knowledge, and yet you still can lack the Spirit and do all those things. And Paul understood that because he was writing to a culture who prized 
knowledge and believing things rightly and believing at the highest level so that they might be enlightened like no other person. He knew his audience. He knew his context. And he's saying to them, there are natural people all around you. There are natural people, even though he was teaching things that come from and through the Spirit, there are people who it made no sense to them. He says the natural person, the one who lacks the Spirit, they do not accept the things of the Spirit. When they hear the things that come from the Spirit, and that includes, one, the simple salvation message. That includes that God sent Jesus the Son to live and to die in the place of sinful people, even though he was innocent. To then raise from the dead to a new type of life, overcoming sin, overcoming death. And that those who will respond to him by faith will receive the life that he himself rose to. It includes that. But it also includes then all the implications that come with that. And the things that God himself freely gives to those who love him. And he says when the natural person hears it, it just sounds like foolishness. And I want you to just think back for a moment before you were a believer, if you're a believer now... And think back to the first time you met a Christian. The first time you heard someone tell you the gospel. The first time someone said, have you been born again? Uh, Where do you go? Do you know where you're going to go when when you die? The first time that that you heard someone say, can I I ask you some questions? What did it sound like to you when they started to explain to you that you were a sinner? And because you were a sinner, it meant that you can't measure up to God's standard. And yet God himself did something for you by sending his son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And he came and and he was God in the flesh and he lived a perfectly obedient life. And then even though he was innocent and undeserving of it, they put him to death on a cross. But he was doing that for you because he was taking what you deserved And then when he died, he was dying having taken the the penalty, the, the wrath of God for your sins. And then this same Jesus, who was God in the flesh, fully human, fully God, he rose from the dead. And then he appeared to those who were his followers. Can you remember the first time you heard that message? And they said to you, now, will you believe this? Will you receive this? Can you remember the first time that you heard that, what you thought? I'd be willing to bet for many of you, it sounded like utter foolishness, craziness. First off, you were probably, some of you were offended. Why would you call me a sinner? You don't even know me, right? And then you start to think about, I'm not as bad as whoever else you compare yourself to. And you start going down that road. I know plenty of people who are worse than I am. And I do a pretty good job trying to live my life as best as I can. Who are you to judge me? That's probably a road some of you went down. So then you never got past that. And then if you got past that and you were being kind and listening to this person who probably had some great zeal and and enthusiasm, then you're going, you mean to tell me that one, you think there's only one God in all of the world? And all these people who say they worship a different God, you think you've got it right? So maybe some of you went down that road. And then you're saying, and this God that you worship, you say he sent his son but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't born to God. He wasn't like Zeus or Thor or anything like that. Not a demi-god, but, but God in the flesh. And you start to listen to this message and you think, it sounds like foolishness. Now, if I'm being honest with you, and if you can be honest with yourself, if you were to think about it with eyes like that, it still does sound like that. 
It absolutely still sounds like foolishness when I run it through my filters, my grids, apart from the Spirit of God, right? Because it makes no sense. If I was going to try to save people who are in rebellion against me, one, I'd have to think real hard about whether I want them to be saved, right? And then if I was going to come up with a plan as to how I'm going to save those who I've created and who are rebelling against me, I'm not sure... In fact, I know I would not have come up with this plan. It makes no sense. And that's what Paul's saying to the natural mind, to the natural person who lacks the Spirit of God. They, they cannot accept, they do not accept these things because they're from the Spirit of God. But he goes even further and he says they're foolishness to him and he is not able to understand them. It's not simply that the natural person does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. It's that the natural person who lacks the Spirit cannot even understand them, which tells us this. We need a work of the Spirit before we can even understand the gospel. I am not in a condition that I can understand the gospel apart from God extending His grace to me. Okay? Because if I'm in the natural, then it's going to sound like foolishness to me. And no matter how hard I work, no matter how much apologetics I study, no matter how, how much reasoning I go through and try to follow logic and push things to their logical conclusions, I will still fall short of understanding the gospel message and the things that come from the Spirit. Because as a natural person, I'm not able to understand them. So that's why Paul is saying, hey, you've heard things about me. You've heard some things about the things that I teach, and I'm being accused of not even teaching wise things, but foolish things. And you've got plenty of teachers among you who claim to teach wise things. But listen to me, he says, the natural person cannot, does not accept the things of the Spirit. That's where he starts. So that's the first kind of person, a natural person. We might, we might put that on, on one side of the spectrum, and then he goes to the other side of the spectrum. He says, but the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So then from the, from the, the natural person, the one who lacks the spirit, the spiritual person in Paul's language here is the one who has the spirit and the one who's living in accordance with the spirit, okay? So those are your two, your two ends. Those who are natural, they lack the spirit. Those who are, are spiritual, they have the spirit. And they are living in step with the spirit. They are, they are living in obedience to the things of God. And he says those people that are spiritual, the ones who have the spirit, they judge all things, meaning they have discernment. They can discern the things that are from God and the things that are not. They can parse those out. Why? Because they have the spirit that helps them to do that. They can discern that this is true wisdom, which is why back in chapter 1, Paul says, I preached Christ and him crucified. And there's two groups of people that received that message. And there's two different responses of those who received the message. He says, I preached Christ and him crucified. To those who are perishing, not those who will, but those who are perishing, he says it sounds like foolishness. Those are the natural. But he says, to those who are being saved, not who are saved, not who will be saved, those who are being saved, because it is a continuous process that we are in as the Spirit of God is continuing to work in us and bring us to that day of completion. He says, to those, the spiritual person, he says, it's the power of God. Two types of people, natural, spiritual, two types of responses. But the spiritual person who has a spirit is able to discern what is true wisdom 
And what is the power of God? But then he has this statement. But is the spiritual person is himself to be judged by no one. Paul's not saying that a believer in Christ who has the spirit cannot be held accountable. He wouldn't say that. Nor does he believe that. What he's saying is as he is receiving criticisms, as he is receiving accusations and allegations, he doesn't submit himself to the assessment and the judgments and the criticisms of people who lack the spirit. Okay? Because he submits himself to no one. He's judged by no one. Why does it matter to Paul as he is teaching things and he's being accused of teaching things that are foolish? He's being accused of teaching things that lack wisdom. Why does it matter to Paul who's being led by the Spirit, who has the Spirit and can discern all things? Why does it matter to him what someone who lacks the Spirit thinks of him? Why would he submit or surrender himself to their judgment? That's what he's getting at. So the spiritual person They have discernment. They can judge all things. They can parse out that which is from God and that which is not. And they don't submit themselves to those who criticize or make allegations. And so as you're living your life, there are going to be people who say, what you believe is foolishness. And then you're going to have an opportunity to respond. Are you going to submit yourself to their judgment, their accusations, their assessments of you, and say, maybe they're right. And now you're submitting yourself to someone who lacks the spirit or... Are you going to say, I know, you can't understand, you don't accept it because you don't have the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit that I can even discern that these things are of God. That's what he's getting at. Two types of people, natural person, spiritual person. And he goes on in verse 16, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. You know by now, Paul is thoroughly Hebrew. None of these guys that wrote the New Testament detached themselves from their culture or their education. In fact, they build all of which they write on it. And so he goes back to what he knows. He goes back and he says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord? So right on the heels of the spiritual person can discern all things, judges all things. He says, who can understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So what is he getting at? He's pulling from Isaiah chapter 40. It's a fantastic chapter. You should read it. You should make it one of your go-to verses when you need to be grounded, when you need your perspective adjusted, when you need to be encouraged. This is one of those chapters that puts you in your place, gives you a right perspective. Job chapter 38 through 40 are also chapters like this. But this is right in the middle of Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to start with verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And of course, the implication in all of these is no one, nobody, nobody else has measured the waters in the hollow of their hand, all the waters across the earth. Nobody has marked off the heavens or the dust of the earth, right? We're we're thinking now Genesis chapter one, where he separates the waters from above and the waters from below. And he, and he brings dry land out from the waters that are below. We're we're thinking like that now, who, who instructed him in that? And then this part right here that I have in yellow is the part that Paul's quoting. This is the part he's, he's referring back to. When he says here, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, this is where it's coming from. What man shows him his counsel? 
And the answer is nobody instructs the Lord. Nobody gives him instructions or helps the Lord understand anything. And he goes on, of course, and says, who did the Lord consult with? The answer is no one. So this is what Paul is drawing back on. So he says, when we're talking about a spiritual person, a spiritual person has the ability because of the spirit within him to discern all things. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? The answer is no one. Yet, here's what he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, when he says, but we have the mind of Christ, he's talking about spiritual people, people who have the spirit. He's not talking about the organ of the mind. He's not talking about the brain. He's not talking about, hear me, he's not talking about Christ consciousness. He's not talking about tapping in to some higher level consciousness that Christian people try to take new age thought and Christianize it and call it Christ consciousness. So now you're somehow in tap or in tune with a level of consciousness that has spanned all the ages. We're not talking about that. That's not biblical. If you're following anyone on TikTok or Reels and you hear them talking about Christ consciousness, run away from that. I remember when Kanye West, I realized I I need to clarify, when Kanye West came out with his gospel album a few years ago, and it was really good musically, and there was a lot of good lyrics to it, I was listening to him him teach at Lakewood, Joel Olstein's church, (laughs) who you associate with sometimes can be revealing. But he was on the stage and he was teaching and Joel's over here and he's always got a smile on his face. And Joel's over here and he says, amen. And Kanye goes, I'm sorry, brother. I just need you to be quiet for a moment because because when I'm speaking, there's like a stream of consciousness that is going. And, And when you say things like that, it just disrupts me and I can't stay in tune with it. Flags. Okay? You can find that online. All right, uh, Kanye West at Joel Osteen's church. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about Christ's consciousness. He's not talking about all of a sudden now you have this new brain. He's talking about the mindset, the way that you view things, the worldview, the values, the way that you assess things. Now you now have the mind of Christ because you have the spirit and the spirit of God searches all things, even the mind of God, which he would have said right before verse 14, the spirit of God searches all things, including the mind of God, and then he reveals things to us. So capture this. If you have the spirit of God, you have the one who lives inside of you who also searches the minds of God, mind of God, understands the mind of God, and makes things known to you from the very mind of God. Amen. How can you understand anything about God apart from Him, apart from the Spirit who searches the mind and then reveals that to you? You can't. But if you do have the mind of God being revealed to you by the Spirit of God, now Paul can say, We have the mind of Christ. We can now view things with the perspective shaped by the Spirit of God. We can now treat people in the way that the Spirit of God helps us to understand how to treat them. We can now discern things that are from God, teachings that are from God, people that are from God, whatever the case may be, events that are from God, and we can discern that which is not. Can we do it perfectly? No, because we're still fallible. But we have the Spirit now, and we but have to ask and learn to listen and follow. We have the mind of Christ. That's the backdrop. That's how he leads into what we started with. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual. 
So you've got natural, they lack the spirit, and then you've got spiritual. These are people who have the spirit and they're submitting their lives to the spirit. They're living in step with the spirit. So now having explained those categories, he says, but brothers, Corinthian believers, when I was with you, I couldn't speak to you like you were spiritual people. But wait a minute, Paul, you addressed them in chapter one as saints, set apart people in Christ, called by the will of God. They're believers. That's the definition of a saint. When Paul talks about a saint or a, a, a holy one, he's set apart. He's talking to believers. Amen. And yet he says, I couldn't talk to you as spiritual. So we had two categories. We had natural and spiritual. Now Paul's going to give us his third category. I could not talk to you or address you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh. Now Paul uses that a lot. And what he means when he means the flesh is me in my natural state. My physical state governed by my physical desires apart from the Spirit of God. This is me in my human body, which, with my human mind, my human heart and affections. This is me governed by that apart from the Spirit of God. When I'm in the flesh, if I, if I lack the Spirit, then I am just simply flesh. Or I'm merely being human is what he says here. But when I have the Spirit, now instead of just merely being flesh, now my nature is changed. I become a new person. All things in Christ have become new, right? And, and, and now I, I am a new person. But I still have this for right now, which means I still fail. I still have weaknesses. My mind is still impacted by things that are, that are part of my old man, my heart affections are still drawn to things like it was with my old man. But now because I have the spirit in this new nature that's been wrought within me, I now can walk and live in that instead of what I only had the option to do before. As a natural person, as a person who lacks the spirit, I have no option but to live in accordance with my nature. And that is a spiritually dead nature. That is a natural nature that lacks the spirit. It's not that I can't do good things. It's not that I, that I can't grow and understand, but it means before God, I can do nothing, nothing that earns credit, that earns merit. I can do nothing that earns my way into his family. But once I have the spirit, now I'm able to live in obedience to him in a way that is motivated and brought about by the spirit. It's not done out of pride. It's not done out of selfish motives. But he says, I couldn't speak to you like spiritual people. I had to speak to you like fleshly people. And he, he defines that further, fleshly people or as infants in Christ. I had to speak to you like you're still a new believer in Christ. What does that mean? He says, I, 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 can't, I, couldn't, I couldn't give you solid food. I had to feed you with milk. Well, what would be milk? He's speaking to believers, but he says, I can't speak to you like spiritual people, but I had to speak to you like infants. I had to feed you milk, not solid food. In other words, he couldn't get past the simple salvation message with them, which, which is why, by the way, um, there are some church traditions that say all we should be doing is just preaching the gospel every Sunday. And what they mean by that is preaching the salvation message every Sunday. I'm not belittling the salvation message, but you cannot grow believers just simply preaching the salvation message every week. Now, that's different from saying I should be preaching the gospel to myself all the time, which means I'm constantly bringing myself back to the foot of the cross, and I'm constantly growing in my understanding of all that comes with the gospel. It's not simply that I get saved and now I get to be with God in heaven. It's that it changes the very way I live my life. It means now I have access to things that I never had access to before. It means things in me are constantly going to be transforming. 
And so when I'm preaching the gospel to myself, I'm also preaching the implications of that. But if I'm only being able to feed milk to a congregation, then I'm going, I'm just trying to reiterate to you the salvation message. No, 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 remember that you don't earn anything. God did it for you in Jesus. He is the Christ. No, 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 we don't add anything to that. No, we, we just, we trust in him because he did all that was necessary. And we're just constantly driving that home. He says, I was just feeding you milk. I couldn't, I couldn't speak to you many of you things that are wise and wisdom hidden in God. I, I had to feed you milk, not solid food. He says, because you weren't ready for it, which is also something to consider. You start to, to try to, to expect someone who is at an infant level of maturity within their faith because either they're a new believer and they just became a believer in Christ, or maybe they've never grown past that, then it's going to be hard for someone in that level of spiritual maturity to grasp the deeper things of God. And it's not my responsibility, nor is it your responsibility to make them grasp it. It is the Spirit of God's responsibility to help them understand the things they need to understand when they need to understand it, and it is that person's responsibility to pursue the things of God. And he says, even now you're not ready. Because you're still of the flesh. And how does he know they're still of the flesh? Because there's jealousy and there's strife among you. When there is jealousy among the body of Christ, when there is contentions and conflict and strife among the body of Christ, and it's being entertained, and I'm not talking about there's right and there's wrong. We're talking about they were dividing over favoritism and preferences and prestige. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And each of those men probably had nuances, uniquenesses in some of the things they taught or how they taught them because of their understanding, because of how God has wired them, or maybe the way they communicated or the way they lived their life. Maybe some people were drawn to Apollos because he was more eloquent, and I really like that eloquence, and I want to be eloquent like that. And because Paul chose to just be simple among them, maybe they are not drawn to the simple because they live in a culture where wisdom and knowledge is prized, so they wanted to be able to compete with that. And then others are going, you know, the simple gospel. Just Paul put it to us, and, and, and there was just divisions. He said, that's the indicator. That's the indicator that there is division among you when there's jealousy, which includes competition and comparison, and this person has that, that person got that opportunity, this person was included here, I don't get to be included in these kinds of things. These are the kinds of things that start to stir jealousy. That person's being discipled by this person, right? And I want to be discipled by this person. Whatever the case may be, we are petty people. We find things to be jealous about. And it doesn't take much for us to pick something to compare ourselves with someone else. So how does a church that's in transition navigate that transition while pursuing unity and avoiding division? You stop comparing. You you stop competing. And you, you stop wanting and longing for that which God has not given you but that someone else has. One, you don't know how they got it and if it's even from God. And two, if he wanted you to have it, he'll give it to you. While there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Or when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not merely being human? When people who have the Spirit behave as if they lack the Spirit, now you have context for that statement. You've got a natural person, they don't have the Spirit. You've got a spiritual person, they have the Spirit, and they're living in step with the Spirit. But you can have a person who has the Spirit who's still living in the flesh like a babe in Christ. 
So when you have a congregation and a body of believers that are going through transition, how do you pursue unity in the midst of so many opportunities to find division? One, we need to make sure that we are people, if we have the Spirit, that we are living in step with the Spirit, that we are pursuing the things of the Spirit, that we are aligning ourselves with the mind of Christ that we have. Remember, mindset, values, worldview, the way we see people, the way we treat people, the way we speak to people and think about people, all of that gets shaped and formed as we have the mind of Christ. Where do I get the mind of Christ? From the very spirit of God who lives inside of me now because he himself searches the very mind of God and reveals things to me. Apart from the spirit, I can do nothing except that which is natural to me, which is division. So it is entirely possible for people who have the Spirit to behave as if they lack the Spirit. If that takes place, you will have division. If that takes place, we cannot pursue unity. Does that make sense? Okay. So next week, then, we'll pick up on what did those divisions look like, and then we'll see how Paul addressed that and why he viewed it the way he did. So, Father, now, I know that is a very straightforward message probably make some people uncomfortable, but we've got to be willing to step into the pasture and step into the mess that's there. And we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to get dirty instead of avoiding the pasture and smelling things, but not willing to see what's actually there creating the smell. And so, Father, we want to step into this, but we want to step into it with your grace. We want to step into it with your wisdom and your guidance. We want to be people who are being led by your spirit. We want to be people who are submitting ourselves to your spirit. And so if there is any part of us that is not in step with your spirit, show us. Show us that we might bring that before you, that it might be dealt with. That we might align ourselves more with this mind of Christ. For others in this room, God, they may be realizing this morning, wait a minute, that natural sounds a lot like me. This morning, would you let things that have been deceiving them, things that maybe have been keeping them from being able to see as clearly as you might be showing them this morning, their need for the Spirit of God that you give when we trust in the Savior, Jesus. Would you show them their need and their understanding, their, and help them understand that they need what Jesus has done for us at the cross. That there's nothing that I can do to contribute. There's nothing that I can do to earn it. He did what was necessary. And the only way to the Father is through the Son. And would you show them that? And then bring them into your family, making them new, giving them life as they are born from above. And the promised Holy Spirit now comes and takes up residence in them that they might now start to grow in a completely different life. Father, I do. I pray for unity among the body of Christ across the board, that you would help us to be people who pursue unity even when it's hard, even when it takes work, that we would not avoid it, but that we would work for it and work toward it. And then help us to discern that which is from you and that which is not. As your spirit reveals those things to us. 
here in just a moment, we are going to dismiss, but I want to invite our prayer team members, anybody who's available this morning to come up and pray with folks. They're available for you. Anything you'd like prayer about, if it's something the sermon has stirred up, if you have some kind of sickness, disease, or ailment that you would like prayer on, they're glad to pray with you about those kind of things. If you have questions about the gospel, what does it look like to trust in Jesus? They're, they're available and willing to visit with you about that as well. Okay, so they're coming forward now. Now may Yahweh the Lord bless you and keep you. May Yahweh the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh the Lord make his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. See you guys soon.